from the University of Colorado Boulder in the Rocky Mountains, this is See You at the Libraries, where information becomes knowledge through storytelling. I'm your host, Claire Woodcock, communications specialist with the University Libraries. And I'm your other host, Mark Lucy, Sciences Outreach Coordinator with the Libraries. Hey, Mark, how are you? I ask acknowledging that that sort of comes off as a loaded question these days. You know, I've actually been reflecting a lot on this past year, and I was wondering if we could unpack that. The elephant in the Zoom? The whole COVID thing, you know? The libraries had to make a lot of changes and a lot of hard decisions, and not all of them were popular. Right. So I think it's fair to say that the way we think of library communities has been completely disrupted this year. On this episode of See You at the Libraries, We're reflecting on our response to the pandemic and how we've been reimagining the community that makes up an academic library in 2020. We're looking at our services and resources, both remote and in-person, and how this will shape the ways in which we support the community's research endeavors for years to come. We've spoken to a lot of librarians and stewards of our collections for this episode. (laughs) And they've been amazing, humoring us by setting up all of these home recording studios. Shout out to everyone who put a blanket over their head to phase out weird room noises. Thanks for tuning in. We hope you'll stay with us. In the three days before CU Boulder went fully remote, the libraries experienced this collective adrenaline rush. It wasn't that much different than when there's like a big snowstorm or blizzard coming that you're sort of preparing for. This is Brittany Reed, by the way. She's the service operations manager for the Norland Library. There's this odd excitement, even though it's like a potentially scary thing that's coming. Carl Stewart, the library's building manager, told us the situation was constantly changing. You know, it seemed like sanitation was the key thing. When students were still coming into the library, and so it was, how can we give people confidence that they're walking into a clean place and that they can study without feeling like they're getting contaminated? So Carl quickly came up with a plan. Custodians would disinfect the library's tables and mark it with a piece of blue tape. Students would remove the blue tape when they were done, letting custodial staff know that the table needed to be disinfected again. We developed this system in about a day, got the posters made, and then the next thing we knew... Norlin closes. But we were holding out hope for the branch libraries. In theory, a smaller space would have been more manageable. Brittany explains. The initial response for branches was focused on how do we stay open with no student employees and limited professional employee staffing. This went on Wednesday and Thursday. And then suddenly by Friday, it became very clear that we were going to close the branches too. Which is challenging, because when you think of an academic library, you first and foremost think of a place where you can study. People are expecting us to always be open. Open to not only spaces, but to the library's collections and instructors that work with these collections on a regular basis. But what happens when you can't access the collections you're using for your academic scholarship? Japanese and Korean studies librarian Adam Lisbon's take on the situation is not for the faint of heart. When I started to realize that the pandemic meant the building would be shutting down and we wouldn't have access to our physical collections, I realized that it would be like getting cut off from the scholarship of Japan and Korea. Japan and Korea have different copyright laws and different practices around scholarship, which means there's still a lot of print materials that Adam needs access to. And I realized that new scholarship and new research wouldn't be coming from overseas. So it felt like the world 
was about to shrink dramatically. Personally, losing access to those things was sort of a gut punch, not just about doing research or just my job, but sort of a part of who I am. A lot of us were feeling like Adam as we doubled down on remote learning. And it left us wondering how we were going to reimagine the libraries as an online-only community. So we're at the point now where libraries' operations are online-only, and the question on everyone's minds is, how am I going to get the books I need to finish out the semester? Gabrielle Wiersma leads the library's collection management team. She says their top priority has been to make sure that print materials from our collections are available to students and researchers in ebook form. Ebooks are a really good long-term investment for libraries because unlike a print book, which can be lost, stolen, or damaged, an ebook doesn't take up any shelf space and it can't be lost or stolen. Another really nice thing about ebooks is that they're available 24-7, and therefore, even if the library is closed, any of our users can access them anytime. This is where the Hathi Trust comes in. It's an initiative that involves 140-plus academic research libraries, including ours, that exists to ensure that the cultural record is preserved and accessible long into the future. In the last 12 years, members have contributed more than 16 million volumes to this digital library. More than 6 million of these contributed volumes are freely available online. It's a great deal for us because... As a member, we have access to digital copies of almost half of the print books in our collection, thanks to their emergency temporary access service. This program allows member libraries who have suffered an unexpected or temporary disruption to normal operations to provide patrons with access to specific digital materials that correspond to physical books held by their own library. As part of the agreement to have access to books through the Emergency Temporary Access Service, we need to limit circulation to the books that we have digital access to in our print collection. This means that until we're confident that we can open the stacks without risk to our community, in order for us to keep participating in the program, we have to keep the stacks closed. Roaming around the library and getting lost in the stacks are really quintessential college experiences. You tend to find books that pique your interest when you just browse the shelves and potentially stumble across something that you didn't expect to find. On any day before the pandemic, you may have even found yourself lost on the second floor of Norland. What do you do when you get lost in Norland? You head over to the Ask a Librarian desk, where maybe Cynthia Keller would be there to help. We have a lot of knowledgeable and energetic teaching librarians who like to design these types of learning experiences for students at CU, but we're used to doing that in an in-person format. And so then what does that look like online? Maybe that's using something like breakout rooms in Zoom. Maybe it's using other technologies that allow for multi-person brainstorming. And then how do we communicate with students in a virtual setting and still try to create that sense of community? Cynthia coordinates librarian instruction experiences for first-year students. She says that after the university went online only, she and her colleagues had to become remote learning specialists. But we tried to make sure those practices were also driven by our values. So creating learning spaces that are safe, inclusive, welcoming, inviting, challenging. Cynthia says they encouraged each other to be open about the challenges inherent in making the switch. I remember in the first few Zoom classes I taught, I messed up on the technology. I couldn't figure out 
oh, how to share a video properly with the sound playing well. And so instead of letting that throw me, instead of fumbling at that point, what does it mean to tell students that, yes, I'm learning this too? She hopes modeling authenticity will help students feel more comfortable taking risks and make learning from mistakes part of the student experience. The student experience was also at the center of Documenting Community 2020, a new digital archival project focused on responses to COVID-19 and how it's impacted lives. Susan Gwynne Chipman, project co-coordinator and exhibit manager, says the Library's Collections of Distinctions team created this project to preserve the student experience for future researchers to learn from. The project grew from a conversation that I had with several of our students the day before campus closed in March. They were lamenting the end of their senior year coming rather abruptly, and they were seeing themselves and their friends scattered to the winds. The project seemed a good approach for helping them process and express what they were going through in real time. Susan says that as a historian, it's hard to come by primary sources representing the voices of everyday people that have lived through past public health crises. There's just not much in the way of letters. There's not much in the way of diaries, at least not as much as I would like. For instance, when she was looking through the library's special collection materials on the 1918 pandemic, she found limited representations of the student experience. However, she did stumble upon a diary from a student that, at the time, was attending CU Boulder. Mary Helen Carpenter, who was a freshman from Pueblo, her diary discusses the fact that she was very distraught at having to leave school early. She went home to Pueblo. She contracted the flu, we think. She talked about having pneumonia. She lost her uncle to the flu. And her diary just really is a very poignant reminder of what students can go through on a very individual basis. For all of these reasons, Susan sees collecting and preserving student responses to COVID-19 as an urgent historical imperative. Thus, this project illustrates what's essentially a movement that's proactively preserving the present for the future to learn from. Coming up, we'll hear about how the libraries went on to re-reimagine a hybrid community during the fall semester. But first, we wanted to mention that if you've ever thought about supporting the university libraries, there is a way to do that. Consider giving to the Dean's Endowment Fund. Your donation can help us digitize more of the diverse collections from our archives. Or engage students with innovative resources. Join us in leading the way to an information-empowered world. Mark, this seems like a really great way to support the libraries during this difficult time in our university's history. How can people get started? It's an easy link to remember. Just go to bit.ly forward slash support CU Boulder Libraries. Got it. Thanks. Now let's move on to that reimagining community part of the story. During the fall semester, two of our branches, Gemmel and the Business Library, opened intermittently to provide study spaces for students. And we expanded remote support staff this semester for the library's Ask a Librarian service. Ask a Librarian is essentially our reference desk. And right now, we've doubled down on the instant messaging services. Brittany says that the service is staffed every hour we're open or have service hours available. But sometimes students prefer other forms of communication. We're piloting a drop-in Zoom consultations. 
so that if a patron comes in and they really just want to talk to somebody, whether it is through video like Zoom or it's over Zoom, but using just phone, you can have a real conversation with a real human. Projects like Documenting Community 2020 have continued, and the libraries have continued to host some events, including a panel discussion on the centennial of the 19th Amendment, the CU Living Library Program, and Pothos Hours, where students could drop into a Zoom room and meet with the pets keeping us company. We continue to acquire important cultural and historical materials for our archives, like the Los Ace de Boulder sculpture, as well as new furniture for our study spaces, based on feedback we received from students. We were stoked to begin offering access to print materials through our contactless pickup services in the fall semester. Here's how it works. CU Boulder affiliates can reserve up to 10 physical items from our collections on our website. Then they get an email when the items are ready and reserve a time to pick them up in front of the library's west entrance. Bryce Austin manages collection caretaking for the libraries. He explains how the libraries have worked with evolving safety recommendations from the CDC to process requests and returns with community safety in mind. Currently, what we're doing is books that come down the book drop, their returns are spread out onto tables so that they aren't stacked up. Books that are stacked, the virus tends to live longer on those. So if you spread them out, you can quarantine them for less time. At the time of recording, the recommended amount of quarantine time for books was four days. As far as books going out, books have been sitting in the stacks for months and haven't been pulled, of course, you know, sort of been in their own quarantine. Don't worry about that too much, books that we're pulling from the stacks. But we do wear gloves, we do bag up the books so that other people can't handle them. This semester, community members have picked up thousands of books this way. But for some students, getting books has been a challenge. Anna Kramer is a PhD student in the history department. She relies on interlibrary loan to acquire materials, but due to safety concerns, the libraries have had to suspend the mailing, lending, and borrowing of physical items from other libraries. This is in part based on the capacities of other libraries to support those services. Not being able to get full books or certain primary sources via interlibrary loan has proved to be a growing challenge for myself and other grad students. We either have to buy them or get piecemeal copies of digitized chapters or find some other way to get our hands on them, which adds yet another complication to getting our own research done. Although the libraries are digitizing book chapters upon request, it's not a quick process. For time's sake, Anna says that while she's been able to purchase books she's needed for her research, not every student has the resources to do this. Over the course of this fall, as I've gotten increasingly sort of frustrated with the inability to have what is for us graduate students in the humanities, a pretty essential research resource. The library is an essential and really awesome space. I mean, it's, it's, our, it's our lab in many senses. Anna hopes that next semester, interlibrary loan services can be up and running in a way that is safe for everyone. Robert H. McDonald is the Dean of Libraries and the Senior Vice Provost of Online Education. He says the libraries will continue to remain agile as we support an information-empowered world. But it's all about making a good experience. How can we showcase the services that we're providing? So no matter where you are, you can kind of figure out what's going on at any point in time, because that's the harder part, you know, being an organization that was very space-based before. We've had to really take up a lot of these services virtually. That means we will continue to listen to the needs of our community as we make changes to our services. I think everybody needs to take the time that we do have to rest and to find some time to unwind from the daily routines of this semester, which was very difficult because we need to be prepared for the longer term of supporting next semester and then through the summer. 
Since March, we've known that reimagining our community as either remote or hybrid would be a challenge. But it also gave us the chance to experiment with providing different ways for the community to access our services and resources. And when we're all back together in person again, we'll be more resilient and able to use everything we've learned to support an information-empowered world. We want to acknowledge that Claire and I have been working on this episode for many months. So if you're listening to this episode three months from now, there may have been some changes to the library's operations from the date this episode originally aired. And the topics covered and voices featured in this episode are only a sampling of stories from the past year. There are many, many people to thank for moving operations forward during this unprecedented time. I produced this episode. I edited this episode. CU Boulder student Nikhil Fapa composed our theme music. Many thanks to Carolyn Moreau, Carl Stewart, Brittany Reed, Adam Lisbon, Sean Babs, Gabrielle Wiersma, Cynthia Keller, Susan Gwynne Chipman, Bryce Austin, and Robert McDonald for consulting on this episode. If you haven't already, check out our other episodes wherever you get your favorite podcasts. And while you're there, feel free to leave us a rating and a review. We'd love to hear what you think of the show. I'm Mark Losey. And I'm Claire Woodcock. We can't wait to see you at the libraries in 2021. And online again soon.